Welcome back, Blue Jays fans, to another episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. I'm Bryant Ott from whiteandbluereview.com. I'm joined this week again by Matt DeMoranis, and we are here to catch you up on everything that happened in the past week of Creighton Athletics and bring you some uh, some wonderful interviews that Matt has been able to track down over the course of the last couple of days. So without further ado, Matt DeMoranis, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back, and sounds like you've been pretty busy this week. Yeah, uh, you know, I think all teams, you know, creating men's soccer at home match, volleyball had two, um, men, men's and women's basketball are getting rolling, so, yeah, it's been a pretty solid week so far. And if people are wondering where Matt is podcasting from this week, it's in the hallowed halls of, I'm going to guess, Sokol Arena, right? Women's volleyball right. just wrapped up, a suite of Seton Hall. Um, kind of give us a little bit of a look at the week in women's volleyball, Matt, and uh, that train just continues to roll, right? Yeah, dominant is uh, a good word. Okay. And all, I guess, all synonyms of that. Um, they started out for Friday. They swept. Uh, <coughs> they swept uh, St. John's, um, and. Uh, Sunday here they swept Seton Hall, so you know not really competitive matches, but you know when Creighton looks good like that, when they're able to get everybody off the bench and you know be efficient offensively and um, you know not give away what Kirsten Bernthal Booth calls stupid points, um, you can qualify it as an overall good weekend, even though you know you expect them to win but you're more assessing their performance. And I think the assessment of their performance was rock solid. So so two more dominant appearances by Kirsten Berthold Booth's team. They are undefeated in the Big East, leading that conference, dominating that conference to this point. And they'll yeah, they're up to, up to 8-0 now, so the train is rolling. I think I put it right now, they're kind of a runaway train and – Big East teams are kind of just strapped to the tracks right now. No one's really even put up too much of a fight to stop them. Um, you know, like Villanova took the first set out in Philly, and DePaul took the second set and went into intermission tied. If you want to look at two, you know, two matches where they were kind of pushed a little bit to where maybe you thought a result was in doubt, but for the most part in all eight of those matches, it's been, you know, pretty much Creighton just dictating – Dictating all the things they like to do. You know, they like to play fast. Tempo is a big part of their thing. That's what gave Nebraska trouble because Nebraska doesn't like tempo. So when Creighton can get that tempo going and play to the pace they like and, you know, dig transition is a big key for them when, you know, Brittany Witt has been phenomenal as a true freshman at Libero, replacing, you know, Kate Elman. And, uh, you know, when they can get when they can get dig transition going and keep their tempo at a high high pace – you know, they almost seem pretty unstoppable, especially if they're in system. So they've uh, they've had one calendar month now. It started with the Emeritus Challenge, Players Challenge on uh, September 16th. Today's October 16th, recording this. They've won both matches they played that day, Gonzaga, Montana State. They've lost one match in the last calendar month. That was to, at the time, number one nationally ranked Nebraska in a very competitive match. And so this team... Now we'll head on the road for two straight weekends of Big East play um, before they come home for a nice home stretch to 
to end the the regular season in conference. So any um, any traps out there, Matt? Looking ahead, just real quick to weekends of at DePaul and Marquette and at Seton Hall and St. John's. Yeah, well, uh, you know, from what I saw out of Seton Hall today, they're really they really looked overmatched against Creighton, like size wise in the front court at the net. I mean, I think Creighton outblocked them thirteen to three today. Mm-hmm. So Seton Hall doesn't really match up very well with Creighton at all. Other than if they, you know, if they have a good if they have a good game where you know they're they're serving well and getting Creighton out of system where they can, you know, dig some of those kill shots that Creighton tries to put down. Um, you know, they might be able to stay in a match, but I just don't see how they match up with Creighton. You know. Person for person, physically, it's just it's a total mismatch. And Creighton is really good at passing and serving. Mm-hmm. So even though they're a taller and a more physically imposing team, they still do the little things. The things that you think undersized teams should do well, they still do those things well too. And, uh, you know, St. John's has, uh, you know, I think their, their top player was a little banged up coming into this match on, um, on Friday. So you can see maybe they would have a better shot at home. And I think they have played Creighton well in New York mm-hmm. um, since Creighton joined the Big East. So it's not one you maybe think, yeah, you'll walk over that one. But, you know, I'm on the record saying I think Creighton should, you know, is the best team on the floor every time they step into a Big East match. So 18-0 and 0 is, you know, they finished 17-1 last year. I think they're 45-3 and 3 over the last three years against Big East teams. I mean, they just, you know, you just, kinda, you just pretty much expect them to win every time through. So sure. if you're going to see like a weekend where maybe they don't, or maybe that you wouldn't expect them to go undefeated or have some trouble. It's this upcoming one at Marquette and DePaul. Okay. Because Marquette obviously had a really good non-conference. They're a very good team, even though um, they don't seem to match up well with Creighton. And then DePaul is kind of that, you know, every year there always seems to be a third team that kind of comes up in the Big East and surprises people. And it looks like that's DePaul this year. So hmm. this upcoming road weekend, I think, is probably going to be the most challenging um, of the season for the Blue Jays, especially, I mean, certainly in conference play. Sure. Let's segue quickly to men's soccer. Um, speaking of challenging, they started this week on quite a roll. They head down to Tulsa for a midweek match. Score first, Ricky Lopez-Espin in the 25th minute. The junior gives them the lead, one nothing, and then keep the lead for up until the last five minutes of the match, and then the the wheels kind of fall off that train. Blue Jays mm-hmm. give up two goals in the final five minutes, and for the first time since November of 2010, they lost when leading a match at the half. Not sure if you had a chance, Matt, to speak to anybody on the team or any of the coaches, but um, what was the atmosphere like around the program then heading into a home match this weekend against Marquette? I didn't get a chance to speak to anybody or see them before the Marquette match, but the things that, you know, kind of bit them at Tulsa also creeped up, you know, against Marquette and really um, the Butler match too because, you know, Creighton got that early one nothing lead and then kind of had to hold on for dear life at the end um, to get the win in that one. And, you know, the Tulsa one was kind of the same way and so was the Marquette match. There's just something – there's some kind of drop-off that happens, you know, after they get an early lead hmm. – um, you know, I don't know if they think that, you know, because they have Alex Cap back in net that, you know, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion if you give that guy a lead. But, you know, they just there seems to be a drop-off in the level of play as the match goes on um, to where those early leads are in danger. And on Saturday, you know, coming off the Tulsa loss, they got a one nothing lead on Marquette. 
in the first half, even though they outshot them nine to nothing, so they should. So they had a chance, you know, to go up two to three, two or three to nothing at halftime. And they only had a one nothing lead, so and a nine to nothing edge in shots. So they're kind of, you know, you look like they're dominating the match, but the scoreboard and the only stat that matters, it's still close. And then the second half started, and it was like a tale. Of, it was like two different teams took the field because Marquette was just all over them, you know, constantly pressing. The game was constantly played or played in the majority of the second half in Creighton's defensive third, you know, and Marquette just put a lot of pressure on them and eventually got that tying goal on a, you know, kind of on a breakdown on a through ball um, where Peter Prescott kind of got caught in no man's land, same with Alex Cap, and it was kind of, of a collision and a lot of bodies falling around and eventually they just knocked the, goal, the ball in the net so to tie it. Um, Creighton was fortunate enough to get the game winner um, Ricardo Perez, who scored the first goal of the match, also scored the second on a free kick um, from just uh, probably about 25 yards out, you know, straight away, kind of, and uh, kind of kicked it through the wall and deflected off a Marquette player into the net. So they got the win, but um, there's, you know, there's a trend here growing of, you know, where their level of play drops off as the match wears on. So... I think going forward, that's something that needs to be addressed if, you know, if they want to, A, hang on to the Big East Conference lead and, you know, make a deep postseason run as well. And it was not a, it was not a, a week where you looked at that schedule um, and you thought to yourself that they, that they might struggle. Now, this is just, you know, casual soccer fan talking, but I know Elmar and others put a lot of um, at least for seeding purposes and for hosting purposes, a lot of interest in the, the computer numbers as well as the other rankings. Um, mm-hmm. Tulsa coming in the week, uh, according to the official NCAA RPI at 83, Marquette at 142, the Blue Jays at seven. So to, to, to cough up that lead late on the road um, against a, a kind of a middle-of-the-pack um, team, at least according to the computer numbers. And then obviously every game in the Big East, it's a conference match. So, you know, you might expect some amount of uh, of closing the margins a bit. But still, Marquette's 3-5 and, and, and 4, or 3-4 and 4, you know, before that match. And and sitting at 142 in the in the RPI, uh, what you've, you've alluded to a little bit, but is there some concern that needs to be held amongst Jays fans here as we start to hit the home stretch of, of Elmar's season? Yeah, well, I won't, you know, create an outright panic, but I mean, <laughs> when you look at what Creighton, you know, when you look at what Creighton's goals are for each season, right? Um, I, I think you would classify this week as disappointing. Um, you know, like you said, Tulsa was 83rd in the RPI, so if you think about a midweek road match at number 83, that's not really a bad loss or a good win, but it's one it's one where you got to kind of get caught in no man's land where you're expected to win and a loss looks like like you like you didn't perform to your level. So there really wasn't much to gain out of that. Um, you know, and it ended up being what it was. But then the Marquette and the Marquette one is interesting because they're even worse in the RPI, almost twice as worse than the RPI. But that's because of their results and they've actually played better you know, they look better than their results show because, you know, they're, they were a pretty good team. Um, I think they're capable. I just think they've lost some close matches to some really good teams. And, uh, but even saying that Creighton was, was really putting it on them in the first 
half. They just weren't banging home goals. So when you look at what their issues were in the first part of the season where the offense, um, you know, wasn't kind of doing their part, and, you know, they're only getting one goal at a time or really struggling to combine in the attacking third, you know, those issues are starting to creep up a little bit as well as, um, you know, it's kind of getting to the point where they can't even really maintain possession in the second half for long stretches and they're kind of getting put on their heels the whole time. You know, and I don't care how good of a defensive, uh, you know, a def- I don't care how good your defensive back four is or how good your goalkeeper is, and I think their goalkeeper is one of the best in the country, if not the best. You know, you constantly have those people under pressure for 45 straight minutes. Something's going to happen, yeah. you know? I mean, as we're just talking about, like, the goal is bigger than you can defend it. So things, <laughs> right. things are going to happen. So you can't, you can't just, you know, grab an early lead and then sit on it. And it seems like, I don't know if, you know, I don't think they're doing it intentionally, but there is something to their energy level where it drops or something where they kind of relax after a one-nothing lead. Sure. And, you know, don't really, because you saw when, if you, you know, you saw on Saturday when Marquette scored that game-tying goal, I mean, it looked like they earned it because at the point, the way they were playing, you saw it coming. So when they got it, all of a sudden Creighton turned the attack back on. Hmm. You know, they started playing a lot more aggressively. They started stringing possessions together. Um they started combining better, and, you know, the, the goal came on a free kick where, um, you know, Marquette kind of had a takedown on, on a Creighton player and a through ball that would have been a 1v1 with the keeper. So they, they clearly are flipping a switch when their backs are against the wall, but the, the issue with this team maybe that might prevent them from going deep in the postseason is that they, they allow themselves to have their backs against the wall in the first place. Sure. Well, they'll have one match this week. It's Saturday on the road out in Philly against Villanova, who, um, as of last uh, week's RPI rating, they're 34th in the country, according to that metric. Uh, so one week, a couple days for Elmar Bolovich's team to prepare, get rest, head out east, and hopefully pick up a victory as they march toward um, what they hope is a, a Big East Conference regular season championship. Mm-hmm. So with that, um, we'll touch real quick, Matt, on women's soccer. They had one match this week. Um, they went out to Providence against the Friars and dropped a match in overtime, one to nothing. What um, what can Jays fans and and the team take from from that performance? I think if they kind of just sit down and be realistic about it, you know, I think they can be. I think they can be both disappointed with the result and pleased with the performance. Okay, because Providence is kind of that team that. You know, they've lost matches to, you know, they've lost to a Marquette who Creighton has beaten. So, you, you know, if you try to do the math on it, you go, well, Creighton beat Marquette, so they should be Providence. Well, you know, but if you're a realistic sports fan, you know, things don't always work out that way. So, and then if you also look at the other side of Providence, you see that they tie with Georgetown, who is one of the best teams in the country. You see they beat Rutgers, who was one of the best teams in the country at the time, or at least, you know, a top 15 team when they beat them. So... And then you look at their, that they made it all the way to the Big East final last year. So, you know, they're a team that's kind of up and coming in the Big East and certainly one that belongs in that upper half of the conference. So when you look at that, that's a true road match, um, early morning or kind of afternoon. Uh, you know, it's one where I put it, you know, where Creighton, since Creighton got those two big wins over Seton Hall and St. John's, which they desperately needed at home, that put them in a position where they could make Providence a zero or one point weekend to where zero is obviously a loss. 
and one point is a tie. So I think, and, and they went into overtime, you know, the goal came in late in the first overtime on just kind of a little breakdown on the right flank. Um, but before that, their defense is really solid. I think Gabriela Braga, who's uh, their junior college transfer from Brazil, playing right back right now, is playing some of the best defense I've seen a Creighton women's soccer player play in years. I mean, she just shuts down that side of the field anytime they attack. She doesn't let freshman goalkeeper Mackenzie Miola even see a shot most of the time. So, you know, I thought their defense was really solid. They had trouble combining in the attacking third, but Providence is really good. Um, they were they were really doing a good job of clearing balls away and keeping, you know, scoring chances out of the box. Um, so it was pretty much a rock fight, you know, for 90-plus minutes going into the second overtime. Both teams were doing a really good job of – you know, keeping their keepers from being under fire and just one breakdown cost them the match. So I think for the majority of it, they'll take away some a lot of positives in that Providence is the top half of the league team and they competed with them for over 90 minutes on the road. And then going forward, they still have matches that, you know, like this upcoming, these upcoming matches against Butler and Xavier. Now, if they want to qualify for the Big East tournament, they have Butler, Xavier, and Georgetown left. So Georgetown being one of the top teams in the country – you know, you kind of go into that expecting them to beat you because they're one of the best teams in the country. So you can't expect to get three points out of that, which is why Butler and Xavier becomes a four to six point bracket of your schedule. You know, you need to beat one of them and tie the other at worst to put yourself in good position to make the Big East tournament. And that's what this team's goal has been since they got into the conference and it's one that they haven't accomplished yet. So. That's what they need to do. Yeah, looking at real time right now, DePaul leading the conference at five and one, Providence four one and one, Marquette four and one, Georgetown three zero oh, and two ties. Creighton sitting there at three and three in conference play. St. John's two two and two, and then the aforementioned foes this week: Butler two three and one, and Xavier tied at the bottom with Seton Hall and Villanova at one and five in conference play. So things still in Creighton's control a bit for qualifying for the Big East tournament. And like you said, one of the big goals that that program has moving forward, at least this season. So um, go ahead. And sorry to interrupt, but when you look at it, when you look at how that breaks down, how you just broke it down there, when you think about DePaul being number one right now, they just suffered their first loss in conference play to St. John's. They lost one to St. John's, who Creighton beat two to nothing. Then when you look at the Providence team that just beat Creighton, who's in the who I think is now in second place in the league, based on points, um, their only loss is to Marquette, two to nothing, who Creighton beat three to two. So even if you're trying to break down how Creighton can possibly qualify for this tournament, they already have wins over teams that are in the top half, which shows big picture the progression they're making under Ross Pauley. Sure. So. Whether they make it or not, whether they qualify or not, they'll be disappointed if they don't qualify for the big tournament. But from a fan perspective and from looking at it on the outside looking in or trying to project going forward, you know, they they're absolutely making strides in this conference as far as trying to get trying to crack that upper half and, you know, be a player in the big east going going forward in future years. Well, and you think about that roster too, and I mean a lot of the contributors, newcomers, um, young newcomers, freshmen. Um, things are shaping up nicely because Ross Pauly obviously out hitting the recruiting trail hard. I know that's not something we talk a lot about on the podcast or at whiteandbluereview.com, but um, things are shaping up where uh, 
you know, during the interview in last week's episode with Bruce Rasmussen, when he says very clearly that he expects women's soccer to be competing nationally very soon, um, you can see the pieces starting starting to line up there a little bit, can't you? Yeah, I mean, and you know, I don't, uh, you know, Talk to Our Soccer is one of the you know top sites of covering you know pretty much all levels of soccer around the country, and when you look at um, you know, if you try to, if you go to their commitments list and you try to compare and you just, you know, kind of do a search of Creighton as a college in general and, you know, do all genders, male and female, uh, right now, I think Creighton, uh, the women have three commits and the men have three commits and the three commits that Ross Pauly has are all rated three stars on college or on top drawer soccer. And they're rated higher than the recruits that Elmar and Johnny are bringing in. So if you want something to stand out to you, it's like, whoa, you know, that seems like something that, you know, Ross Pauly and his coaching staff have kind of made waves on the recruiting trail and um, something that they were known for coming in for the recruiting context that Pauly had, mm-hmm. it seems to be paying off so far. Well, we will uh, watch these next couple of weeks very closely with Ross Pauly's team as the Blue Jays hopefully can qualify and make some noise in the quick qualify for and make some big noise in the Big East postseason tournament. Um, and that starts with a couple of matches this week, um, a couple of must-win. I think you'd, you'd agree, Matt, must-win for those efforts against mm-hmm. Butler, uh, number 133 in the RPI as last week, and Xavier, number 165 in the RPI as well. So let's segue. I know that you've also spent some time when you haven't been, um, you know, working the press boxes down on the hilltop and watching teams from afar. You've been down at some basketball practices this week. Get Jays fans up to speed on kind of this week in basketball preparation as the season gets closer and closer here now, a couple just a weeks away for Flan and Max teams. Yeah, with, uh, I think, both teams just started fall break, so um, I think each team has about three days off here coming up, which is just, I think they'll welcome the rest because they've been hitting pretty hard. Um, I think they're both 10 or 11 practices in both teams, I believe. And uh, this week, uh, towards the end of the week, Maurice Watson Jr. Um, kind of banged or got his jaw knocked around uh in the middle of the week, so it allowed he had to sit out a few practices just as a precaution, even though he was um, still as vocal as ever. Um, which <laughs> think that would mean he's fine if the jaw's still working. But right. um, he got to sit out, sit out a few practices and get some rest, and um, that allowed uh, freshman Davion Mintz to um, run point guard with the first team, uh, first team unit, which is you know just something that's going to be. It was a valuable experience for him to have this early running with the ones and, um, you know, trying to get comfortable with a team that, you know, you think he's going to be running in the future. So uh, it was a good opportunity for him to do that in the practice. And um, another freshman in uh, Kobe Paris has, has looked really, really good. He's just shooting the ball pretty well, um, especially from the wing. And obviously his athleticism is something that jumps off the charts every time you watch him. So, I think it was a pretty good, productive week for the true freshman uh, on, you know, Greg McDermott's team. And um, really, when you kind of break down their performance offensively, um, you know, it's they're, they they are pretty hard for each other to stop. I'll say that uh, offensively, they I don't think there's anybody really that isn't playing at a high level 
you know, shooting the basketball, taking care of the basketball, making plays. Um, you know, assistant turnover ratio from the players you want it to be good from is good. The you know Toby Hagner shooting the heck out of the basketball right now. Um, Marcus Foster's you know a machine when things break down. He has you know quite a few ways to you know get buckets on his own when things when when the sets break down and it gets into late shot clock situation. Um, so that's just that's pretty much the takeaway from this week from Max Group and uh, from Flan. It's pretty much the Audrey Favor show every time you step on the floor. I mean, she has been absolutely just incredible. Um, you know, I'm, I don't even think I don't even think Creighton can guard her. I think it's just a conclusion that I'm reaching at this point. There just isn't anybody that can guard her on Creighton's roster. Um, so it's going to be up to the rest of the Big East to kind of figure out that that issue because she is on fire right now. Um, you know, shooting the ball, she, she looks like she's expanded her game a little bit to where the range is a little bit beyond the three-point line, you know, and she's still money from there, and she's gotten stronger and quicker with the, you know, off the dribble and, you know, kind of going to her left and right and being able to finish inside against, you know, stronger, bigger guys because, you know, they practiced against the guys a few times this week. Sure. And it, it, there was no drop-off. She kicked their butts as bad as she kicked the, her own team's butt. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's poised for a really, really big season. So, uh, you know, and she hasn't missed a beat yet. I'm still waiting for her to have a bad practice so I can tweet that she had a bad practice. <laughs> it's, uh, you've got so it, far you've got it already had... written. It's, it's scheduled. It's got photo. It's, it's got some, some sweet, uh, some sweet hashtags. You've just got it locked and loaded, ready to go, huh? Exactly. It's in my drafts, ready to roll, uh, <laughs> for the first time she has a subpar practice, so. But so far, I haven't had the chance. Well, hopefully we won't have to see that at all. Um, the sophomore from Clive, Iowa, Dowling Catholic High School, um, getting set to break out in, in what Flan hopes is, um, you know, a return to form for his team with Marissa back in the fold. Um, just a lot of experience back in this in this team. How, how have you seen, um, you know, with everybody having experience? I know you wrote a, a piece on, on Jalen uh, Agnew this week for the site that redshirt freshman kind of that newcomer granted she was around last year but how are these practice working how are these practices working out for Flan with so much um, returning experience both with game time experience but just everybody having been in the fold for a season what's it like you know at Sokol during one of his practices I think it. I think where it translates the most is just the attitude of the group as, as a whole because when you look at the issues that they had last year that you know where the where where they took losses and where you know they would have a couple bad practices and then a couple good ones and then a couple bad ones. You know they really struggled to find consistency, and then they weren't very assertive communicating. And if you if you ha can put one word as like the most important aspect of what Flan is asking for you as a basketball player, communication is it. You're not going to see the floor if you don't communicate on Flan's team. That's just the bottom line. He's made that clear every single year to every single player he coaches whether you're you know, the last person on the bench or the first person introduced in the starting lineup. Communication is the most important thing. In transition, in the half court, on offense, in screens, in any situation. So I think this year, because it was an issue last year, you know, the team wasn't very assertive and it took a while to get comfortable in that regard. And I think this year you know, the practices are just louder because that doesn't seem to be an issue as much anymore. The team is more confident in what they're saying and when they need to say it and where they need to be because, like he has mentioned a few times, and 
you know, Jalen is the only player eligible to play this year that hasn't actually stepped on the floor in a Division One basketball game that matters. So that's a lot of experience. And you expect that experience to translate to the preparation to where practices are – to where this is a good practice team, to where they know how to prepare and prepare at a high level and get themselves ready for big games that they have to play. So that's been the biggest takeaway so far is the transition from, you know, kind of understanding that they're an experienced group and um, performing as if they are. There's not any of these, you know, they know what's expected of them. And they know, and when Flan gets on them, when they do drop off, when Flan yeah. does get on them, he only has to get on them once. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to repeat it. He doesn't have to stop practice multiple times um, like he had to in the past to reiterate things and, you know, kind of have, you know, heart to hearts with players about, you know, what they're not doing and why aren't they doing it sort of thing. There hasn't been that much of this season because I think the team understands that, that they have high expectations for themselves. They understand that outsiders have high expectations for them based on what they return just, you know, on paper statistically. And um, so far they've approached their practice, their preparation, and their workouts according to that. And I know that it's not the same, right? A little bit of an apples to oranges comparison, but how does that contrast with Mac's team where you do have some, some new guys in the fold, some young guys in the fold, and certainly you've got experience there as well, but how do you see that um, kind of contrasting, if at all, uh, when you're sitting there at the championship center watching practice for Mac and the men? Well, I think the contrast with Mac's group is that they're talented on paper, and that you see that where they're replacing certain things, this should be an upgrade here and here and here. And the Marcus Foster factor, the Marcus Foster and Maurice Watson. I'm going to start a TV show called The Marcus Foster Factor, just, <laughs> by the way. so or, or a different podcast or something. I don't know. We'll see. But I like that. Yeah, perfect. You know, just like when you think, you know, when you think about that dynamic, you know, on paper, you know, every national columnist and pundit and writer has been eating that up as, oh, well, here's a Creighton team that was almost an NCAA tournament team last year, and now they add Marcus Foster. Uh, that should make them better. So that's on paper. So I think the, qu- the contrast is that that's still a question mark, though, because they haven't proven it yet on the court. So where Flan's team, you already know what each player is capable of because you've seen them perform. So you know what the, and you, you saw them run to the Big East final last year which is where you felt they should have been if they were 100% healthy. So now you see that they're 100% healthy. You see that Audrey Faber has made a step forward. You see that Jalen Agnew, who was a top 100 recruit, is now eligible to play, and she brings athleticism that the team didn't have last year. And you just see, you know, the general you – you see the way MC McGrory stepped up in Marissa Jennings' absence to become a leader, to become a reliable scorer and playmaker. And, you know, they were playing against the guys this week, and uh, – you know, they were down like 10 with two minutes left. They cut the lead all the way down to two. She hit the game-tying and game-winning basket. So, NC McGrory has been a clutch player her entire career, and you know that when the situation arises, she's going to play at her best and make a play to get her team a win. With Max Group, you know, you, you think what you can say about them confidently is they should be better, but you don't know that until they actually perform. So, there are still – the contrast is – you know what to expect out of Flans group because you've seen it on the court and in games that matter. With Max group, you just see the talent, you see the what they have on paper, and you think they should be better, but there are still they still have to prove it when it matters. 
So we'll go ahead and segue here from that, Matt, because um, I'm really interested in our first interview too. But it's a good segue, right? Because like you talk about expectations, Creighton women's basketball picked by the coaches of the Big East to win the conference preseason number one, tying in that spot with DePaul, both teams selecting or collecting um, five first place votes. Um, and all the three of the, the players that we've kind of touched on here a little bit, Faber, Janning, and, and McGrory, preseason all big east um honors in uh in in that in that forecast last week so expectations high there and then um i'll set up this interview a little bit but segue to you here to kind of to kind of walk us through you were able to touch base with nick baugh this week have a good interview with nick and i know one of the things you touch on the great men's team picked for a top three finish in the preseason polling by the coaches, picked to finish third behind uh, Villanova and Xavier. Men were out in New York City this week as well for Big East Media Days. Um, kind of talk about expectations there and, and then set up our, our chat with Nick here on the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Yeah, it was good to catch up with him just because, you know, all he's been through in the past year, and you know, with his health situation and, you know, trying to get back into – you know, trying to get back into good shape, and, you know, he's back. He's doing his radio show. He's ready for another year of calling games on FS1. He's really kind of ascended from a career perspective. and um, So it was good to just, you know, have a chat with him and sit down with him and, you know, from that perspective because, you know, it's just good to see him healthy and doing well. Um, you know, as for the meat and potatoes of the discussion, you know, I pretty, I pretty much just get his take on, you know, his reaction to Creighton being picked third, because again, it's one of those things where, you know, the coaches just kind of see what they have and expect things out of that group because of the raw talent that they have. Um, you know, even though they haven't actually put it together. Right. Uh, so to see them third behind, you know, the reigning national champion in Villanova and then what most people are calling a preseason top five team, who I think is actually one of the more vulnerable preseason top five teams this year in Xavier. Um, you know, it puts them in good company, but it also, you know, lets it also sets a bar that's pretty high to begin with. Right. So well, I kind of get his take on, you know, if he thought Creighton belonged there, and you know, kind of what he thought their ceiling could be, and then uh, then we kind of break down the rest of the conference, um, kind of how it shakes out uh, after Villanova, Xavier, and Creighton. And then we, and then at the end of it, we talk a little bit about. Um, Kyle and Doug, the big game exhibition game between the Bulls and Hawks on Thursday. Where I don't know those guys. I don't know what you're talking about. So Who? I, Kyle, Doug, Kyle and Doug. They sound like nice young kids, though. Okay, well, let's go jump right into that interview. And then, yeah, we'll talk about that little uh, professional basketball game that's head to town this week as well. So first, we'll hit up Nick Baugh, speaking with Matt Moranis here on the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Here with the uh, former Blue Jay voice of Fox Sports 1 soon to be, Nick Ma. <laughs> uh, before we get into the basketball stuff, I wouldn't be uh, well, very compassionate if I didn't ask you how you're doing. I appreciate that. I'm doing much better. I've, I've told people that for the majority of the summer, I still wasn't doing great. It just, and it's just, it's, it's all just recovery from the surgery. And so I think towards the end of, of probably July, I feel like I took a big step forward. I've, I've tried to start working out a little bit more. I was never that high level of an athlete, but um, I've, I've lost whatever, whatever athleticism I had. I'm trying to get it back, but I'm doing, I'm doing much better. Uh, 
my six-month checkup in September, the exact words were, your CT scan looks spectacular for my surgeon. So everything's looking great. Uh, starting to feel like my old self, which is exciting. Now, I guess you're taking a year off from summer ball. <laughs> I know you have, every year you like to try to form an offense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fans love it. Uh, I know you're a Michael Jordan fan, so is there, I'll never say never, is there a comeback? Uh, or, or are you officially retired? I don't know. I think there's also that time where you got to know, I might retire just like Duncan. Okay. You know, just like a, just, just right after the sunset, people don't really know if it's, I'm not going to do some Kobe Bryant farewell tour. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, uh, no 60 field there's, goal there's zero, I got none of that, you know. 60 ibuprofens before a game. Maybe that's what, that's what it'll be for me. I don't know. I'd love to. Here's the thing is, I'm sure everybody had, like, for me, as long as I played summer league, I feel like I was in, like, good enough shape. Sure. But it was starting to slip a little bit, and now after taking, like, a year off, I don't know. I also don't want to embarrass myself, but we'll see. I always love being able to do it. We'll see what happens next time. Because you had to stack those teams for yes. to, hide, to hide your And hide my deficiencies, yeah. and yet reap all the benefits. So I'm like the, I'm like the ring chaser. I'm like Shaq at the end of his career. I'm just like... Bouncing from team to team, whoever's got the hot guy, you know, whether it's Marcus Foster, whether it's Maurice, it doesn't matter. Whoever's whoever's that next thing, that guy's on my team, and I'm going to ride him to the top. You're moving into that GM role. Yes. Just, yeah, you're yes, player GM, yes, if there's yes. such a thing. So I guess, uh, not to tug too hard at the heartstrings here, but given what you went through last year, and, you know, given what, you know, the great community went through with the fall and everything, I guess when you see what you came out of, realizing that, you know, you got Mava and everything like that and like the new family and everything like that. What did that do for your perspective? How different is it on a daily basis now when you just get to kind of sit at home and just kind of watch her kind of grow up? How, how different is it? It's a lot different. And which is which is great. I think the 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 crummy thing about life sometimes is you don't get to by the time you gain perspective, sometimes it's too late or sometimes you're given a, a you know a, a, a countdown for lack of a better term. And for me, I mean there were there hit numerous moments where you know your your mortality comes into question where it's you're really starting to think about things like that and and that was really really challenging last year. I'd say the the hardest part for me at times was to I, you didn't know what was going on for so long I didn't know what was wrong with me I didn't know what the deal was and so not knowing was was really difficult but now the, the thing and I know what, whatever I went through with Piv too is the thing you find out is how much people are important and and even after my surgery I was getting a text message from Steve Pivovar almost every single morning checking in on me so even in his time where his situation was much more dire than mine he was thinking about me and so I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is that you just value even like a day like today being here at Creighton practice feeling good getting to laugh with the coaches it's little things like that don't seem like much they mean the world to me now and so it's uh, and then you throw a baby on top of it all and it, it it's been I'm like in a, I'm, a, I'm an emotional wreck now like if an emotional commercial gets played I, I'll get choked up and all those things but, but that's a good thing you know uh, it's I, I feel like I'm a better person because of it uh, it's just it's too bad I had to go through some uh, some some bad things to get to that point. Is she starting to break down film with you yet? Or 
she, not. she's no, she's not to that level yet. She, uh, she's intrigued when I turn on basketball, though. She, she will sit and watch with me, which is good, you know, because I'm gonna need. She's gonna, need, she's gonna have no choice. Daddy's got to break down film. Daddy's got to watch games. She better, she better be all about watching some hoops. She wants with me. any kind of relationship with Dad. She has to be. A I don't. I mean, right? right? She's gonna have to figure out some way to. to I'm gonna. I got a job to do. I got to watch some games. You know, get so, work. She'll at least have to lie to you through her childhood until she. Until it's a point where she's like, like Dad, I can't stand basketball, and I'll say, Okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll do, go do what you want to do. I guess. I guess. Let's uh, turn the page to basketball now. Obviously, uh, you know. I guess we're watching this team. We're watching how Greg McDermott and the staff kind of put it together. We figured that there were going to be heightened expectations coming into the season. Now you see them, you know, the coaches slot them in at three behind the reigning national champs, Xavier, who's really talented, I guess. What was your reaction to seeing where the coaches had this group before they really had a chance to kind of show it? I think it's about right. I think, I think three is where I probably would have put them at, although I really believe that they could finish second. Yeah. I think it all depends on how healthy the front line guys stay, because you know in the backcourt they got a they got a, an abundance of guys back there and, and spearheaded by I think the best backcourt you know a top ten backcourt in the country maybe the best backcourt in the league and if you got the best backcourt in the league it, you know you, you're you're going to be a handful every single night it just it depends on how healthy Cole can get how healthy Zach can get if those two guys in particular especially Zach Zach doesn't need to necessarily you go out there and, and average a double double or anything like that. They just need his physicality and they need his size. And so if he can get healthy, I absolutely think this is a top three team. And here's the thing. A lot of the things that, you know, question the front line and stuff, Xavier's asking themselves the exact same thing. Because if you watch Xavier a ton, James Farr and Jalen Reynolds, to me, were the two guys that took Xavier from here to here. And without those two guys, they lose a little bit of the element of their physicality, which I'll be curious to see how they replace that. Miles uh, Davis. Miles Davis's issues. It sounds like Sumner took a big step in the offseason. Blewett continues to kind of change his body, and he's a special guy uh, at scoring the ball. But I think to me, I mean, Creighton played, Creighton beat Xavier last year, could have won at their place. Um, I think three's about right. Wouldn't surprise me at all to see him finish it too. Now, I guess when you look at Villanova, obviously, you know, they have that rule where you're the top dog until someone does something about yeah. it. But, you know, they won the national title last year, and I kind of saw, you know, when teams are looking at them for this year, they're like, well, Villanova's not going to drop off much. Look what they added. First one they lost. Do you feel like people maybe are underrating what Archie know truly meant to that group? You know, they think they can replace statistics. That's not a guy who always shows right. up in a box score. Well, and Villanova was really good in close games. Yeah. And that's him. You know, he was a guy that could always find the, come up with the big defensive stop, the big loose ball, the big rebound. And then when the game was on the line, I mean, who makes the play to flip it back to Jenkins? It's, it's him. So, I mean, all the decisions and all the big plays went through him. So the thing that I'm going to be interested to see what happens is what happens when Villanova gets in close games. Because he was calm and he was a playmaker. I mean, he was that guy that would go 38 minutes. He was a little like Tyler McKinney in that way, where it's like he kind of didn't felt like he didn't feel like he was doing much, but he was keeping the whole thing together. And when it came time to make a play, he always seemed to make a play. But I think I think the biggest thing for Villanova is it's you could say last year having that having the monkey on their back the whole year, even in the midst of them winning games and being ranked in the top five, everybody was always kind of like, yeah, but. And I think that was good for them. But I also think 
it's good that they got over the hump because I think now they can kind of let a lot of that stuff go. But I agree with you. I think I think the Archie Diacono loss is going to be is going to be big. But I mean, shoot, I mean they got they still got Brunson, they still got Phil Booth, they still got Josh Hart, they still got Jay Wright, coach. they still got Jay Wright. They, yeah. they, I, I do think though Archie Diacono was a guy that that is what he did. He just made winning plays yeah. all game. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. The close game thing will be interesting. I guess if you just take the top three for what it is, it's Villanova, Xavier, Creighton. That's what the coaches decided. Forget the rest. In your opinion, what rounds out the top five and why? For me, I will say, I think I think Georgetown takes a step forward. And it's weird to say that because they lost Devontae Smith-Rivera. Yeah. I mean, and he did everything for them. But I just think they're a team, ultimately, talent prevails. And I think they got off to such a – they lost a Monmouth early in the season. I think they – it was more of a confidence issue with them than anything else. And I think I think the combination of LJ Peak and Isaac Copeland, I think those two guys in particular elevate. Akoya Gao is going to be a guy that's going to be interesting to watch for them. People around here uh, obviously know about what he can do. And then I still – I think Seton Hall rounds it out. Uh, you know, Delgado and Carrington – what, what those two guys can do. The, the, the guy that, that, now everybody knows about what Whitehead, Gordon did a lot for them. Like whenever I talked to Kevin Willard last year, any, it, we talk about those winning plays, like any tough loose ball play, Gordon made. And so they're going to have to find, they're going to have to find that guy. But to me, those, those five teams, to me, are are the clear cut class. And then after that, to me, I think there's a pretty sizable gap after that. Yeah. So I guess when you look at you know, top six make it to the second year of the biggest thing that who do you think battles it out for that six spot? Because obviously you think St. John's has more questions than answers yeah. at this point. You know, the ball is kind of, you know, still rebuilding, but Marquette, obviously we've seen Wojo's recruiting and then Providence what they lost, I guess. Then Butler, who do you think battles it out? Who do you think stays who do you think finds their way into the second day? I think for me, there's something about Butler and that culture that you always kind of think, okay, here now they're going to take a step back, and they and they find a way to put it together. And I think Keelan Martin took as big of a step as anybody in the league from his freshman to sophomore year, and I think he's scratching the surface from the standpoint of now without Jones and Dunham, he's going to have to take on a bigger load. I think Shrabis is the same way. I think both those guys kind of played there, kind of kind of played back a little bit and played off of Dunham and Jones. I think Butler probably finishes in the sixth spot. Uh, I'd probably go Marquette at seven. And then then it gets it's interesting. I could honestly see DePaul finishing eight and then Providence nine and St. John's ten. I'm just not ready to – St. John's just has too many – like you put it, they got too many questions and not enough answers for me to, to get ready to, to crown them where they're at yet. I think Providence takes a big step back mm-hmm. with with losing the two studs. Um, but that's what that'd be how I see that next five. I'll get you out of here on this. Next week is going to be a pretty big game for the city of Omaha, even though it's going to be an exhibition game for you know the NBA teams involved. But I guess... Uh, your thoughts on Doug and Kyle kind of heavyweight battle in Omaha? A lot of people are really looking forward to. I, isn't it great? Yeah. I mean, it, it is. It's it's so cool. I mean, we're sitting here in the in the practice facility. And you look up and you see Tolliver. You, th- you see Doug. You see Kyle. You see these big pictures. And I think what Kyle's been able to do in his career has exceeded even like Creighton Homer's expectations. I think in terms of what he did as a shooter and, and how he's kind of expanded his game, even to impacting things. Uh, 
beyond just catching and shooting. Uh, and, and Doug, I think Doug's right for a huge year. I think just because of, uh, not only because I think he's going to be more comfortable, I just think they need him. I mean, they, they don't have anybody that can space the floor, and they're a roster full of drivers. you got to have two guys. you got to have somebody space the floor. And I just think what those two guys have represented, I mean, they're the, they're the two dudes that have taken Creighton to that proverbial next level. I mean, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle built, Kyle kind of got it going. Uh, I shouldn't say Kyle, I mean, Buford got it going. A lot of those guys got it going. But to me, Kyle took the, the thing that I love about Kyle, the whole identity of Creighton, to me, gets traced back to him. Because it's shooter you, it's let it fly. And to me, it all started with Kyle. And Kyle was kind of the one of the first stretch fours that you kind of saw. And Creighton has then all of a sudden had a long line of those guys, from Rocky to Doug to Toby to, to Dane Watts to Jimmy Motes. And, and it kind of set a trend. And so I just think it's cool to see the dude that kind of put Creighton in position to take the next step and Kyle and then Doug just take that and run with it. It's just, it's so cool. And you've seen in your time here, I mean, in Omaha playing for the Jays, and you've seen a lot of crowds in the Central Center. Yeah. Do you expect that thing to be popping? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, I was at the game in Lincoln last year that she yeah. went and win the bull, and that crowd was crazy there, and, and obviously Hoiberg called his number uh, for the game winner, and he hit it. Uh, in terms of beloved people in Omaha, it, I mean, Doug and Kyle are, are up there, and I think it'll be crazy, and I think that's great. I mean, and I know those guys appreciate it a ton. No, we ran a little long time. No, you're good. Appreciate you're good. The time always. You got it. Glad you're back. Thanks, man. All right, Matt, thanks for catching up with Nick. Hopefully we get to speak with him a little bit more as the season goes on. Obviously, there's um, few people other than yourself that get to spend as much time with that team that isn't on staff, but Nick obviously traveling, covering the Jays, uh, and then obviously seeing the Big East up close and personal um, for all of his various color analysis work is one of those people. So he's obviously got a great perspective, and uh, it's nice to see a former Jays player have success in that venue as well. Speaking of a couple uh, other former Jays, big event this week down um, at CenturyLink Center Omaha Thursday, October 20th. Two former Blue Jay legends coming back for a preseason game. It won't count in the standings, obviously, but certainly for Jays fans and, and basketball aficionados in town, it's it's extremely meaningful. Kyle Corver and the Atlanta Hawks coming to Omaha to face the quote-unquote home team, the Chicago Bulls, with uh, number 11 now, not number three, number 11, Doug McDermott on that squad I know you had a chance to talk to Kyle this week. What is, um, you know, kind of what's the what's the atmosphere going to be like there? What's what's Kyle's impression of how this got set up, and um, you know, just how excited is everybody around the program for what ultimately is a great showcase for recent success of Creighton basketball? Yeah, I think Kyle was. I mean, well, speaking to the atmosphere first, I expect it to blow the roof off that place, especially when they're introduced. So. Um, I think, you know, if I try to remember back to last year in Lincoln when the Bulls played the Mavericks um, at Pinnacle Bank Arena, um, you know, some of the loudest moments were, A, Doug getting introduced. The crowd went crazy for that moment. When he hit his first shot, um, I think his first three put him up 92-91 late in the fourth quarter, and the crowd went crazy then. And then, obviously, when he hit the game winner with one second left on that kind of fadeaway Dirk fadeaway jumper right in front of Dirk in his bench. The nasty dead leg shot. 
Exactly. You know, the crowd just went insane, and I was like, you know, of course Doug McDermott would write a storybook like that. So he's going to get, a, you know, an encore for that here now in his hometown of Omaha or his adopted hometown of Omaha. And, uh, and this time he gets to play against the guy he kind of followed in the superstardom of Creighton, of modern Creighton basketball anyway, and Kyle Corver. Um, and, uh, you know, I got a chance to chat with Kyle a little bit, and, uh, you know, he's really excited about this. I don't think, you know, I have a write-up coming about it, um, you know, on Monday, but I don't think – I don't think I can, you know, the words on the paper will mean as much as you hear it in his voice how excited he is, you know, to be back here. And you just really kind of get um, from him what Omaha means to him, even after all these years of being away from it. Um, you know, he kind of put it, um, you know, your college years are some of the years where I think he said you become, you kind of really become who you are and who you're going to be and who you want to be. And, you know, he really thinks very highly of his years at Creighton and kind of how they helped to shape him not only as a basketball player but as a person. Um, and he's very much looking forward to, you know, being back in Omaha. And he's never played at CenturyLink Center before. That just um, blows my mind, right? I mean, Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, they it was, built it right after that big 0-2-0-3-0 season. And, um, yeah, it's something that he's really looking forward to. And I think he said it's, you know, something that he's going to cherish for the rest of – you know, certainly the rest of his playing career, but memories he'll take it with him for a long time, you know, this upcoming this upcoming week. And uh, there is a bit of a somber note at the where we talk about the Civic Auditorium. He did, he wasn't aware of it being torn down when I asked him, so uh, I felt kind of bad having to break that news to him over the phone, and uh, he reacted accordingly. But, uh, yeah, he knows about it now. He knows that it's uh, slowly being whittled away. Wow. And, uh We'll have to have so, yeah, Rob Anderson, you know, send him all of his uh, all of his tweet photos straight to Kyle so that he can see, you know, Rob's lament of the death of the Civic Auditorium kind of in real time. Maybe put something together for him. Little, yeah, actually, uh, after Rob know. sent those after Rob sent those photos out, I just shot him a text real quick, and uh, he was like, you know, he was appreciative that Rob sent the photos out, but he was like, that is incredibly sad. So. <laughs> It was. I don't know if it put him in the best of moods to see his old, uh, his old home arena being, you know, like I said, little by little being dragged away. I mean, there were plenty of, you know, you talk about the roof being blown off, you know, this week uh, when these guys were introduced, and there were plenty of nights when Kyle was on his game where it felt like the roof of the Civic was, was exploding, just you know, pent up nine thousand folks jammed in the old barn, and and Kyle hitting shots left and right, and that team doing great things, but to see it fall. I mean, I know we've talked about this before, but I don't think enough has been said either, you know, Kyle and in that team, that group that graduated in 2003 and then obviously into the next season two with Joe and, and, and Mike and, and Mike Grimes and Lindemann and, and Dabbert, uh, you know, they, their success those couple of years before the then quest center was open. I mean, made that move, of the Jays into that building, I think a little bit more palatable for, I don't know, taxpayers or just general sports fans that hadn't been um, experiencing Creighton basketball in those couple of years before. Cause I mean, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years before that, if you'd told casual sports fan in Omaha that the Jays were going to go, you know, be the main tenant in a 10 to 12,000 seat arena, they'd have mm-hmm. laughed. Right. And, and, you know, not only has, uh, not only did Kyle and, and that group get everybody primed for the Jays to make that move, 
Um, but that move has gone, you know, as successfully as, as you could have imagined. I mean, they've, they've just gone and um, continued the role that, that, that Kyle's teams have gone on. So, you know, I think a lot, a lot of credit goes to Kyle and, and Dana and, the, and that whole crew for what has now become, you know, the ticket in Omaha in the winter months. And, yeah, you know, I think it's just, uh, and, and Greg McDermott mentioned this too this week, um, you know, in kind of anticipation of, in anticipation of this game, you know, and kind of what it means, you know, pretty much summed it up perfectly. We're not in the CenturyLink Center, or Creighton is not in the CenturyLink Center. We're not covering games at the CenturyLink Center, and they're not playing there. It might not even be there if not for what Kyle's team's accomplished. You know, he's the only player in Creighton history to make the NCAA tournament four times. So every single year he was a Blue Jay, they went to the tournament. And so we're not in the, – Creighton's not in the CenturyLink Center without Kyle's contributions on the court. And – Creighton's not filling that place up, maybe, and they're certain they're not in the Big East, maybe, without what Doug McDermott did, right? And how he took what Kyle did and ran with it. And you know, you hear you heard Nick Boss talk about that, and kind of, you know, what Kyle kind of created the or brought the shooter you let it fly, stretch fours, bombing threes, and coming off screens identity to Creighton, and Doug kind of took it and ran with it. And, you know, both of those guys, when you look at what the modern era of Creighton basketball, if you have to choose two people to, or just any people, to choose, you know, who kind of is responsible for the ascension of Creighton into that proverbial next level that you, that people have always talked about taking Creighton basketball to, Kyle Corver and Doug McDermott will probably be, you know, number one or number two out of your mouth when you talk about who was responsible for that. And you see it when you go into the championship center and you look at both of their posters on the wall along with Anthony Tolliver. You know, they are responsible for what Creighton basketball is today. Um, certainly there were a lot of greats before them that made Creighton basketball relevant. But for, as far as taking that into a national spotlight, into the level it is at today, Kyle Corver and Doug McDermott are the first two that come to mind. And, uh, and that's why this game, even though it's an exhibition game, you know, for the Bulls and Hawks, and it's not going to mean anything for those two teams. Um, it means it's going to mean a whole lot for this city, this community, this university. Um, you know, it's just a maybe, maybe one last chance to just, you know, kind of honor and show gratitude for, uh, you know, what Kyle and Doug did in their four years at Creighton. So without further ado let's get into that interview with kyle corver on the blue jays bites podcast uh, you're probably you know you're in the middle of uh, another training camp in the nba i guess how's it going so far for you it's going good you know just um i feel like i'm ready i feel like i'm ready excited about our team they're a little bit different than we've been in the last couple of years. Just our personnel and where some of our strengths are. So, excited about it So, last year coming into the season, I guess, uh, you know, you're dealing with that injury and probably weren't, probably were trying to get to the point where you felt, you know, you probably felt a little bit behind going into the training camp, but you still managed to play 80 games last year, I guess. How much did the injury affect? You know, the start of last season, and comparatively, how do you feel, you know, physically compared to that point last year? Yeah, last year was tough. You know, I spent 
Last year, um, I guess the way it ended, you know, from a matchup perspective, it looked like, you know, the way, you know, the Cavaliers shot the basketball was obviously the looked like the difference. But I mean, you had an inside presence this year in Dwight, even though you lose Al. Does that is that was that move made kind of to add Dwight in a sense, you know, to make sure maybe the rim is better protected on an individual basis, and you guys can maybe focus on the perimeter more and. Was that was that series in mind when you think that addition was made? Yeah, you know, I think um, I think you know, just the physicality of our team is one of the things that we've you know been trying to add to the last couple of years. I mean, we have a lot of we've had a lot of skilled guys and guys that can shoot and things like that. But just you know, when the game slows down a little bit, especially in the playoffs, you, know, you really got to be able to protect the team. And, you know, I think. Uh, season you're going to be an unrestricted free agent and then you know you turn 36 years old in March have you started to think at all about maybe life after basketball after your pro career is over Yeah, that's 
things that you maybe want to accomplish and objectives you have for your pro career. What do you have left that's still on your personal list as far as your NBA career goes? I mean, obviously the championship is out there. You know, your eighth all-time on the three-point list. Like, what are some of the things that, I guess, that still motivate you today? Obviously, next week is going to be a pretty big week around these parts with uh, you guys going to be in town against Doug and the Bulls. Just from your perspective alone, what is it going to mean to you? I mean, I know you've never played in Central Lincoln Arena, Central Center before, but what's it going to mean to you to be back in Omaha, you know, in front of a fan base that that hasn't, you know, maybe seen you in person in, a, you know, over a decade, you know, but obviously holds you in high regard? Terms as far as how this game is going to play out in the matchup. No, 
question um, driving by the uh, driving by the Civic Auditorium these days it's kind of a somber sight as it's being torn down little by little I guess, uh, driving by the Civic Auditorium these days is a little somber because it's kind of being torn down little by little each day <laughs> sorry to break that to you um, I guess what are some of your fondest memories of you know, games or moments in that arena, um, you know, as it's kind of coming to an end here? Oh, man. It's hard to know where to start. I think, you know, just, I think the coolest thing about that was just my freshman year. You know, I think I remember an early game. Just, you know, we, like, we, there's been, there's incredible loyal fans between um, people who've been going to games just for decades. But the numbers weren't quite as big, you know. Like it wasn't, it wasn't quite as big. And I just, you know, every year, just like watching that arena fill up more and more, and just feeling the energy. And you know, by my senior year, it just felt like this incredible environment, like college basketball. You know, it wasn't as big as as what we have now. Um, It just felt so intimate and so just special. And I think, um, you know, I have great memories. you know, walking down the hill from Genesis, uh, which is the dorm that I stayed in, just kind of down by the Civic, and just walking down and just looking at the arena and just you know, getting yourself into the mindset of getting ready to go play the game. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of great games, a lot of, a lot of special moments that were played there. Sad, I know they were tearing it down, man. <laughs> you know, uh, whenever they're going to it, um, but that was a really incredible place. and Thanks a lot for uh, sitting down. I know I like I think I ran a little bit over on your time there, but I appreciate the time you did give and um, see you in Omaha in a few in a week, I guess. Awesome, sounds good, man. Thank you. All right, Matt. Thanks for that interview with with Kyle. Um, again, a big week ahead here for a showcase for the Blue Jays basketball. Um, you know, past legends of the past, and and speaking of which, I know our diehard listeners may have already heard this before but a couple episodes back Matt was able to get in touch with Doug McDermott so you know in the in the spirit of this week's event in the spirit of this week's preseason game between the Hawks and the Bulls Thursday October 20th we thought we'd replay that interview with Doug here in the final segment of this week's episode we'll go ahead and we'll end the episode with that interview so um, again Jays fans really appreciate you tuning in Hope that as many of you as possible are able to go down to that mat, uh, that game on Thursday night at CenturyLink Center, 7 o'clock Central Time uh, tip-off. Kyle Corver, Doug McDermott. Uh, look forward to having you all listen to this episode. Share it with any other Jays fans you think would find it entertaining and informative. Certainly Matt was able to give us a ton of information from from all of the programs that he covered this week. So Matt, again, a hat tip to you. Really appreciate you down there. And I know that um, all of those 
programs really appreciate the coverage and the thoughtful coverage that you're giving them. So uh, without that, um, I guess without further uh, blabbing on by me about the Blue Jays, we'll go ahead and we'll cut straight to Doug McDermott, and then we'll end the podcast after that. So thanks a lot, Blue Jays fans. Hopefully you get a chance to get to CenturyLink. But either way, it's going to be a great night for two great guys that mean a lot to the Creighton community. So here's Doug McDermott speaking with Matt DeMoranis on this episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. So I want to start off with a really hard hitter. Um, how is your golf game, and what is your head-to-head record against Coach Mack looking like these days? Uh, it's, it's solid right now. You know, I think I played a lot this summer. I was, I was back home all this past week and played really well with Coach DeVries and Coach Vanderloo, and I think that was a sign to hang up, so it was good to end on a good note. And I think I beat my dad twice this summer. So I think, I think it was... I was two and one because we only played like three times. So, but no, it, it was more than that. It was he's probably he probably still has the advantage. Oh, he does. Okay, that was smart. yeah. But I mean, I've never beat him in my life before this year, and I beat him twice. So that's a big step. Oh, so you're catching up then? Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess down to business now. You kicked off training camp uh, this week. I guess how are those first uh, handful of workouts gone for you so far? They've been great, you know, we're, uh, we're really competing, uh, we've had a couple of two-a-days so far, and Coach Horvath gave us just one today, and uh, we've just been playing a lot of live stuff, just competing against each other, um, and, you know, it's, it's been going well, you know, we have a lot of new faces around, so we're all getting used to each other, but the overall vibe right now is a, a lot much better than it was a year ago, so uh, we're all really excited. Now, I guess, obviously as a rookie, you have that adjustment going from the college game to the program. And then in year two, you know, you go from Coach Thibodeau to Coach Hoiberg. And then now here in year three, you have some roster turnover at some key positions. I guess that that can't be easy for someone who's, you know, still trying to find their way in the pro game as it is. Where where are you yeah. at, Where are you at mentally in terms of adjusting to all of that? Um, I'm good. I feel really good. I feel real confident. I like I had a great year last year. Um, shot the ball well, and you know, I feel like that. It's always going to stay. I'm always going to carry over. So this summer, I just try to add a little bit more to my game. Got a lot more athletic, and um, you know, I think having like Rondo and Wade, they draw a lot of attention. So it can only be a good thing for me. So I'm really excited to, to get to work with those guys. And, um, you know, it should be an exciting, exciting year. I guess when you're, you know, you're sitting at home. In, in June and watching everything shake out and you look at the conference finals and the four teams that were involved there were, you know, the Bulls were, or you guys went 9-3 and three against those four teams. I guess, were you sitting at home going, you know, kind of getting, I guess, was there some frustration thinking that, you know, you guys had their number all year or, I mean, I guess, do you feel like you guys are closer to contending than maybe some outsiders think they are, think you are? Definitely, I think so, you know, I think. We feel real confident in our ability. Um, you know, we just kind of struggle at the bottom tier teams, which is a sign of, you know, maybe not playing together at times. And, um, you know, I think this group's a lot different. I think I think we're really going to have a great year. Um, people are kind of already counting us out. So that's kind of been our mindset is kind of being the underdog this year and fly under the radar. And I think, uh, I think it's very uh, capable. I think we're very capable of being a, being a playoff team. Now, obviously, 
Wade and Rondo, they bring a lot of championship experience to the team. Um, I guess they know what it's like to, you know, reach the top and, you know, both fall short and succeed at that position. I guess where, what have you picked up from those two veterans as far as, you know, what maybe little extra things it takes to, you know, get, you know, one step further in the playoffs? Um, you know, so far it's just been a lot of practice stuff, so we haven't had a whole lot of group talk together, but, you know, the main thing I've picked up is they have championship mentality. They, they practice um, what they preach, and they, you know, they're out there get on guys, um, and we hardly know them, you know, and they're, they're on our cases about bone assignments, and that's a sign of leadership, that's a sign of a champion, so uh, both of them have those qualities, and everyone's kind of following their lead, and I think it's only going to get better. Now you had to give up the number three, obviously. How many, uh, I guess, how many pints of ice cream did you go through over the summer missing that number? Yeah, yeah, quite a few. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be different, you know, at that 11 on a media day, and, uh, you know, it just felt different. But uh, at the same time, uh, it's, it's all good, you know, just a number. Um, it's still basketball. Sure. Um, and, you know, maybe eventually I'll get it back someday. For so, sure. uh, Look forward to that. Hopefully you'll outlast him. Um, yeah, I know. I guess, how close were you to going back to the old Ames High 42, and I guess how did you settle on 11? Um, I wasn't even close to 42. I, I mean, barely thought of it because I remember how much I hated that number in high school. But, you know, I wanted a couple of different numbers that were already taken, so um, I kind of wanted 22, but Charles was wearing that. Um, I kind of wanted 10, but I was retired, and I, I had 8 for a while, and then Robin Lopez came and really wanted it, so I was just being a nice guy, um, and 11 was available, I wore that for Team USA, and I just thought, why not, and I just kind of rolled with it, so I think it'll look good, um, as long as that ball's going to the bite, I don't care. Exactly, so you're just being a good teammate. Yeah, yeah. I guess, uh, you know, you're obviously... Uh, there's a big game in Omaha coming up next month in a few weeks, actually. Um, you know, you get to play back in the Central Link Center, and, um, you know, former Blue Jay Kyle Corver gets to play in it for the first time. How excited, I guess, how much are you looking forward to that game, even though it's just an exhibition? I'm looking forward to it. You know, it should be fun. Um, you know, it's kind of like last year. It's kind of the Lincoln deal was kind of on my mind for a while, and now it's the Omaha deal. So, um, obviously, I hope I can have just as good of an ending as I did last year, but um, overall, I didn't play that great, so hopefully I can make some shots in that building um, to get me rolling. Um, that's a special place to me, obviously. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing Kyle um, and a lot of Blue Jays fans. And, you know, it'll be a fun, really fun experience. Jay, he'll sleep at home. You know, it'll be a, be a great experience. For sure. Have you had any conversations with Kyle about that yet? Um, I remember texting him briefly when it first came out, and uh, he, was, he was pretty pumped up too, but I think he'd rather have it in the Civic Center, but now uh, now he's going to drive by that and it's blown up, so uh, it'll, it'll be good for, for both of us, though. Um, we're both really excited. For sure. Are there any uh, side bets on the game as far as who scores more, who wins? Uh, not yet. I think that's still in the negotiations, so... We'll be matched up against each other, I assume. So uh, it'll be it'll be fun. We're uh, we're both uh, you know both from Iowa. Both have a lot of family coming up, um, and uh, it'll be great great atmosphere in there. For sure.
Now I got, we're going to wrap this up with uh, five really quick questions just to see how well you remember your senior class, your senior team that you played on at Creighton. Um, and this is based on uh, Rob Anderson's wonderful detailed media guide. So we'll see if you, yeah. we'll see if you did your homework. Yeah. One, uh, one player listed their favorite hobby as 90s hip-hop music. Who is that player? Uh, that's Grant, for sure. Yep. Very good. Yeah. I'll try to make these harder as they go. Um, yeah. This person, this player listed their favorite TV show as Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers? Yeah. Um, I'd have to say... Rocky? Nope. Uh, no, I don't do that yet. Um, so is this a senior? Has to be a senior in my class? Uh, this one is a senior, yeah. It is. It is Jahan's? Yeah. yeah. Alright, I got that kind of right then. Speaking of Jahan's, does he owe you money or do you just like playing against Toronto naturally? Oh, yeah. I just, I don't know. It's something about, something about Toronto. I love that city. I just always get a good night's sleep there. It's just a great place. Nice. Alright, this one, the next one is this, first, this person listed their favorite spot on campus as the St. John's Church. Who is that? That was me. Yep, that was you. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I could Good trick you. I thought I could trick you, but you're on top of it. Yeah. Now this one is uh, kind of obscure. I can't really believe it's true, so we'll see if you remember it or not. But this person listed yeah. their favorite sports team as the Buffalo Bills. Who is that? That was uh, Alex Olson. Correct. Correct. Yeah. You're doing I really. That. You're doing really well so far. I know. Okay, so this last one. Uh, one, there's two, it impl- applies to two players, actually. One of them is currently okay. still on the team. Okay. Their middle name is Donald. Um, shit. Um, is it Tyler Clement? No. Jack Hansen? No. Um, one, of them a for- one of them is a former teammate, was a senior, and... On your team and oh Donald uh, oh okay so so this guy so Donald he might not be on the team one of them is on the team and one of them was a senior on your 2013 2014 team and they're both their middle names both Donald yep okay um big three point shooting three Ethan what think three point shooting Ethan Ethan is one. Ethan's really Donald? I didn't know that. According to the media, guys. Uh, all right, well, I got that. Or whatever. Ethan and the other one is Tyler Zach. Toby. No. Um, that would be Isaac. Give me a sec. Give me a sec? Give me a sec. Okay. Yeah, well, I just knocked off three guys that were on the team with me. Um, just trying to think who the last one would be. Right. Um, Walk-on? No. No. It's the same hint I gave you for Ethan applies to this player also. So thanks for your Oh, duh, duh. Jordan. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, I did. You just said Minnesota. Yeah, I got it. For sure. I did not know that. Uh, Doug, I really appreciate the time. I know you're very busy, so uh, thanks for sitting down, and good luck to the rest of training camp, and we'll see you in Omaha in a few weeks. All right. Sounds good. Thanks.